Welcome, savvy investor, to Skyline Views. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Skyline Views. I'm Chris Mills. I'm here today with investor and cost segregation expert, uh, Yona Weiss. Yona also has a podcast, Weiss Advice Podcast. Yona, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. The pleasure's all mine, Chris. Thanks so much for, uh, for taking the time today and uh, inviting me to join you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's go ahead and get started with your background and you can explain to everybody what you do. Sure. Uh, yeah, a little bit about me. Um, I've been in real estate investing for the past five years or so. Before that, I was a full-time teacher. So I spent most of my life doing that. It's really what my passion about most is, is teaching, helping other people. And so in real estate investing, I've kind of found different pockets, different niches in order to do that as well. Um, most recently, with regards to what I'm doing, uh, working for the largest national cost segregation company. So helping people really understand the, the intricacies of not only real estate investing, but the tax uh, savings that come along with it. Very good. Very good. So um let's talk about cost segregation for just a minute. Can you explain um, what you do and how it benefits uh, the average investor? Absolutely. Um, so simply put, what cost segregation is, is an accelerated depreciation. It's an advanced form through an engineering process that allows you to um, break down depreciation to faster lives freeing up more cash flow, allowing you to take larger tax deductions. So a lot of people understand this, you know, when they hear real estate has the tax benefits that come along with it that a lot of other types of investment vehicles don't have. The main tax advantages that exist are simply depreciation and conservation is, like I said, it's like depreciation on steroids. It's really a really way to maximize those deductions earlier on and allows you to free up much more cash flow to reinvest and grow that wealth uh, very, very quickly. Very good. So for uh, sponsors and institutional investors, um, what are some best practices for going into, going into an investment, you know, say a large investment? Um, what are some things that people should, or you know, companies should do and what are some best practices for the for the front end going into it? Well, obviously, the due diligence period is is the most important part, right? Checking up, not just relying on other people's numbers, but running the numbers according to your own uh, own assumptions and your own scenarios. That's you know by far the most important thing. Best practice also would be to take a look at multiple factors. So. What we like to do specifically in terms of uh, the cost segregation and for real estate investments is run a number of scenarios in which you can see what the tax benefits would be if you ran a, a cost segregation study, if you didn't, um, and there, there's different ways to calculate that depreciation to see whether you're gonna take a huge amount up front. But I think that's the most important thing. A, a lot of investments um, are being offered and oftentimes being offered with you know pro forma and, and all kinds of other things that you can't really rely on other people's numbers. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the, uh, the best situations that you've seen when people have really, um, really done that right? What are some systems that they might have had in place as far as um, doing due diligence? Because especially when you're talking institutional investors, 
you know, they're investing all over the country, right? So how, how granular can you really get on a national scale? Um, and, you know, what's the, what are the systems again that you've, that you've seen that have, when you've seen it really done well? Right. Well, I think the most important thing in, in doing it right is, you know, picking those markets that you're comfortable with and that you are analyzing those markets and know well. Now, it's, you're, you're right. There are many institutional investors that are investing in multiple markets across the country. Nevertheless, they're still, you know, picking a top 10 um, and they're making lists and, and analyzing those markets and seeing where job growth, where population growth is heading where certain industries in those areas. And so the research that goes into that is quite astonishing. You know, when you can see the difference between someone who is putting in the research versus someone who's not putting the research, I would say a great practice to do is that you don't need necessarily need to be spending, you know, millions of dollars in, you know, in finding that market research when there are others that have really already done it. So for example, um, I know many investors that like to look at you know, areas with a certain median um, income level and, and, and higher. So they're looking only in certain markets and certain submarkets. Now, once they've reached that, um, you know, that median household income, they're looking to see what types, what are the common um, retail retailers that are popping up in those locations? For example, a Starbucks or a Whole Foods, um, different things that are catering to a, a little bit more of a wealthier population, much more stable workforce housing. And guess what? Starbucks and Whole Foods, and you know, can name a whole list of others that are spending millions and millions in market research and coming up with that. All you have to do is look and find where are they investing? And then, mm -hmm. and then go and find within a, you know, a mile to three to five mile radius of those locations where they're popping up. Those are good places to invest. Yeah, I remember studying up on Whole Foods uh, algorithms and everything they look for. And it was really fascinating because it's, it's a lot more in depth than, than you would assume, right? That they even higher on their list than income is education, right? And things of that nature. And um, so, yeah, having them do a lot of legwork is, is really <laughs> beneficial for sure. Do you, do you have any favorite markets right now or, or markets that you're very optimistic about? Um, specifically in terms of multifamily properties, which is what I'm uh, most focused on personally, is, you know, I like some of the markets in the Southeast. For example, Atlanta has been growing at an exponential rate. Um, Charlotte and Raleigh, the triangle there are also, those three markets are kind of the top uh, on my personal outlook uh, right now. Great. For those factors that I mentioned, you know, the, the population growth, people are moving from uh, from the Northeast. A lot of migration is happening there and uh, and the job growth, regardless of, you know, how the economy is doing in the current situation, there's still, you know, has been consistent for, you know, for the last couple of years and continuing to be, um, you know, job growth in those markets. So as a investor is scaling up, whether they are, you know, a large scale institutional investor or you know a sponsor that's just uh, you know one of these multifamily sponsors that are really starting to scale up. What are the, I guess, best practices from a tax strategy point of view? As you're starting to scale and get larger, how do things change? You know, if at all, 
and um, is there any restructuring that should happen? Um, you know, there are definitely things, and, and you know, on on one leg, kind of kind of discussing the subject. This is always something that each each person, each sponsor, each company needs to look with their own tax advisors to see what's best for their scenario. Um, certain things, once you start to get larger, there are some changes that happen with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that are both beneficial and can also have uh, potentially a detrimental effect on you know how large you get and what you can take advantage of what you can't. So specifically, something called bonus depreciation. 100% um, bonus depreciation allows you to front load a huge portion of that depreciation upfront. However, once you start, uh, an, another thing that changed, which which is once you start getting into over 25 million um, in gross revenue uh, per year, you are actually required to depreciate your properties on an alternate depreciation system. Um, so not the normal, what's called the, the GDS, you have to go on something called ADS. And so that you also have certain uh, limitations that they put into place with regard to um, you know, mortgage, mortgage deductions, mortgage expenses, that there were certain limitations. So they've made some kind of checks and balances to make sure that people are, are you know, able to, to take advantage of the most they can, however, can't kind of take advantage of everything altogether. So the 100% bonus depreciation is gonna allow for huge tax write-offs, but if you're doing that and you meet that threshold, like I mentioned before, then you're no longer able to kind of double dip and also take um, you know, an unlimited mortgage expense. There's a limitation to that. So those are definitely things that larger institutional investors, they need to be aware of and uh, kind of having those discussions. Mm -hmm. So if you are kind of a, approaching that threshold, you haven't crossed it yet, can you walk us through, um, you know, what a, a typical deal or, or life cycle will look like from that perspective? Sure, I guess anyone who's not reached that, that threshold yet, and, and again, uh, I think the maximum benefit people um, that I've seen is you're looking in between a three and seven year hold. And, and there are, again, this goes back to our original point of running multiple scenarios to see what you know, the maximum benefit is gonna be, not only on the tax scenario, obviously, in terms of the income, in terms of the growth, in terms of you know, rental growth, rent growth in, in those locations. Once you're doing that, um, you can, it, it kind of plays out on its own. And again, the, the importance of creating the, you know, the software, I guess, you know, the, the Excel, whatever, whatever else you're using to run those scenarios is going to be uh, so beneficial in the long run. And then I guess after you've crossed the threshold, um, is, it, is it the same, the same thing or are these, are these cuts going to be bigger? How, how are they really restructured? Well, as, a, as the system is right now, and again, we don't know what's going to be with, you know, any potential changes to, to the tax reform or, you know, what have you. But in the current system that's in place, yeah, you are going to, like I mentioned, you're going to have those uh, mortgage limitations, which the mortgage expense limitations, when many times people are financing these projects, uh, these acquisitions, you're not able to, to take that huge uh, expense as you used to. Um, you're kind of limited to 20% or 30% of that mortgage expense deduction, which creates a much larger uh, taxable income, much taxable burden. So um, I guess that's, that's probably of, of the, 
the things to be aware of when it comes to tax planning, those are the most important things. Um, 1031 exchanges are, is another topic that uh, has become more popular in the news recently, whether that's going to stay, whether that's going to go, uh, we don't know. But what we do know is that in the current situation, you can uh, exchange properties. And I know this is less common with syndications. This is less common with uh, kind of institutional investors because there are oftentimes different uh, corporate, you know, different entities that are owning the properties and, and how that's done. It's less common. Nevertheless, it's important to know that that's a way to kind of continue to grow that, uh, grow the portfolio, grow that wealth in a way that you can, um, you know, have tax-free wealth going forward. So if I'm uh, an investor and I'm putting something together, I'm looking at, I've identified my market, I've got a couple potential properties and I'm, I've got a lot of capital to deploy. Um, at what point do I you know, call you and consult you, um, bring you into the loop on things? Usually people like to look at those scenarios before they're acquiring a property. So in the acquisition stage, in the due diligence stage, they'll reach out to get uh, a free estimate to see what the potential tax savings would be by doing a conservation study, for example, and, and discuss the other scenarios that go along with that. There, uh, you know, the, the process that is involved is a pretty unintrusive process and pretty fast process from beginning to end. So that's, uh, that's something to be aware of. It can be done in the first year, it can be done, you know, in many years after that, if you've held the property for a number of years and you didn't have that tax liability, this is a great strategy to kind of create a large uh, income tax deductions and large losses that when you didn't need them, maybe in the earlier years, you can kind of go back retroactively and get them. And there's, so that's one people reaching out to us. Do you have any uh, questions that are you know best to ask when you're formulating this team when you're when you're going into say that same company that has a lot of capital to deploy and they're buying real estate and probably other alternative investments that are going to play nicely with the portfolio mm -hmm. um, say you're trying to identify some key attorneys your cpa what are the, the some really good questions to ask when you're talking to these people bringing them on board you know i would like to say uh, you know, I'd like to, to just kind of point out that you want to be asking, how is this not only going to affect me, but also uh, affect the investors involved, um, you know, not just myself. So everyone, you know, people are going to be investing from different entities. For example, uh, sometimes people might invest from their retirement accounts, uh, which has become much more commonplace uh, recently, you know, whether they're qualified retirement plans or, you know, or self-directed IRA accounts, those are going to be treated differently than, you know, than someone who's investing, you know, from their, you know, from their cash savings. So you want to understand how the investment is going to affect everyone differently. Um, and so it's important to know, you know where the funds are coming from and how they can benefit, right? Tax deductions are only going to benefit people who will be able to take advantage of them, right? If one thing that I love about real estate more than any other type of investment is that with the depreciation, you can often ha times have, and this is less so with, um, you know, with, with REIT investments, because those are more like stocks, but with actual equity investments in real estate, you can have income that's being produced returned from your investment and have that tax-free, basically. So 
in, you know, especially in those earlier years of ownership. And that's done primarily through the conservation process. That's something you want to, you know, discover. See, well, if I invested, you know, this amount, you know, in real estate, what would my returns be? What would my, you know, not just regular return, but my IRR over time, because I'm getting that money tax free, able to reinvest that as time goes on. Very good. Um, any strategies or, you know, best practices you've seen as far as the success of, you know, companies that are really doing this well, whether it's related to cost segregation or, or otherwise? You know, transparency is key. I think transparency is probably the most important aspect of, you know, of everything, right? Integrity and making sure that your investors know upfront, like what's going on. You don't want to surprise them down the road. Uh, you want to make sure everything that you're doing along the way, it, you, and it's an opportunity to educate the investors because a lot of times people don't know. And when you, when I say best practice, I think a sponsor or a deal sponsor who has become the educator, and maybe this is just my teacher in me that's speaking, but when you become that kind of, you know, that beacon of light or that source of education, that source of knowledge, people will look to you not only for, you know, the investments that you're doing, but also for kind of guidance in other ways. And what that does is that just has people keep coming back, right? When you are a source of, of knowledge, people look to you and, and they're going to learn more. They're going to thirst for more. And so the more transparency you have, the more opportunities for education you have, the more um, that relationship between yourself and the investors just can flourish. Excellent, excellent. Um, what are some investments that you've done where some of the things we've been talking about have been in play and um, how, how have those played out? Um, so specifically, like I mentioned, I'm focused mainly in, in multifamily uh, currently. So that that's really where this has played out more than more than anything else. Uh, so finding the right uh, partners to partner up with, the right sponsors to to deal with, and not trying to figure out all on your own, um, but rather to kind of take those steps to to gain the knowledge by you know by leveraging the experience of others. Excellent. That's been my experience. Yeah, very good. Very good. Um, are there any, uh, as we, you know, wrap up, are there any good resources for folks who want to learn, um, you know, as much as possible, either because they're early on in their, in their investing, or, you know, maybe they, they jumped right in with both feet and now they're starting to get beat up a little bit. <laughs> Um, which happens, the stuff happens to all of us. It's a full contact sport, as I like to say. But um, yeah, are there any good resources, whether it's, you know, books, podcasts, whatever, you know, anything you would point to? Sure. Um, I mean, there's plenty, there's plenty out there. I would, I always like to point to Bigger Pockets, which is, uh, you know, the largest real estate investing forum on there's just tons of education, a lot of real life uh, players out there, people who have been doing it for, for decades, you know, real experts that are on there sharing their knowledge. Uh, a lot of books that they've published as well, including uh, you know, a recent one by Brian Burke, I think it's called The Hands-Off Investor or How to, how to Passively Invest in, uh, in Real Estate. 
and those are you know those are great resources as well another one uh, by brian murray a book called uh, crushing it in commercial real estate uh, one of my favorites and um tons of podcasts out there i mean tremendous amount of podcasts where you can learn i mean you know when you're on the go you're in the car you're you're doing your workout whatever it is take the time to to listen in and and just continue your education very good so if someone wants to learn more about you or or what you do um what's a good way to get a hold of you um, the best way to find me is on, uh, on LinkedIn, believe it or not, like Chris did, but you can go to yonawice.com and find out a lot more about what, what's going on. All right. Well, very good. I'll link to both of those in the show notes. And uh, I want to thank you again, Yona, for your time. This has been, well, this has been good. Thank you. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to another episode of Skyline Views with Chris Mills. We hope you found this valuable and useful feel free to share it with friends or family that could benefit as well. Please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. We really appreciate it. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Connect with us through thehaneycompany.com. See you next time. The information provided in this episode is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. Skyline Views, The Haney Company, their employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are advised to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant for the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicative of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Christopher Mills is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisor representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Neither Coastal Equities Incorporated nor Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated is affiliated with Skyline Views or the Haney Company. Advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, a U.S. SEC registered investment advisor, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC, 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801.